Hello everyone. Welcome to this podcast. Today we have with us Rucha Kulkarni, who is a fourth year PhD student at UIUC. She is currently working on algorithms and game theory. So Rucha, briefly introduce yourself to us. Thank you Ananya. So as so hi everyone. I am Rucha and I am working at UIUC. I mainly work in theoretical computer science and I have done research most of my life. I have not uh, been to the industry. So I have worked at various academic places. I worked at IIT Bombay, IIC Bangalore, uh, in Shanghai and now at UIUC. So I enjoy uh, theoretical computer science and mostly problems uh, related to algorithmic game theory and within that in fair division and I'm here to talk about that. Welcome Rocha. Um can you briefly tell us about your current um research that you are undertaking at UIUC? Absolutely. So um I'm working in uh, fair division theory. So uh for the lay people uh, i would explain it as the problem of allocating resources so you have so, so let's say you have uh, been given some uh, resources that cannot be split up okay so they are indivisible resources and you have a set of agents and you are a coordinator so you you have been assigned the task of allocating these resources among the agents so that the agents feel that this is a fair distribution of the resources okay and also the mechanism you decide to allocate the resources should be efficient uh, time efficient so it should happen quickly so you want it to be time efficient you want it to be fair to the agents and uh, you want also to get some you yourself want to get some profit out of it so while everyone uh, gets a fair uh, allocation of resources let's say everybody pays for whatever they received and you want to maximize your payment for whatever you gave them okay right. so there are multiple objectives of to this problem and uh, multiple aspects of how you want to solve it so there are many questions first of all uh, what is fair right how do you quantify fairness so this is a very new area in computer science uh, in game theory and um, people are still finding out new definitions of fairness so how do you define fair how do you define um, this profit aspect of it uh, which uh, in formal terms is called economic efficiency so how do you formally define uh, fairness economic efficiency and what part what definitions allow um, efficient fast algorithms to find them and so on so i work on as as many aspects of this problem as possible i have worked on uh, yeah sorry Go it seemed like i was stopping but uh, i have some other things also <laughs> so i i i also work on uh, other areas of computer science uh, i have worked in um, problems in complexity theory which is uh, broadly the problem of finding how difficult it is to solve a problem proving how difficult it is to solve a problem so uh, prove that no matter what algorithm you design in the world uh, if you want to solve this problem it is going to take at least this given amount of time to solve so this is complexity theory and within complexity theory i have worked on the problem of smoothed analysis which is kind of new uh, a new area and a kind of a technical uh, definition if you are new to complexity theory but uh, let me try and explain what this is so smoothed analysis is uh, the attempt to explain why some algorithms are Uh, theoretically bad so you can prove that there are examples for which uh, your given algorithm is going to take too much time 
so it's provably a bad algorithm but if you actually implement the algorithm in the real world it runs very fast okay so smooth analysis is a theory that was developed to explain why this happens why certain algorithms work fast in practice but are theoretical but have theoretical lower bounds mm-hmm. so we we use randomized algorithms or probability theory to explain these things and i have worked on uh, do performing the smooth analysis of uh, certain algorithms to find nash equilibrium game theory so this might seem a very technical area but it is also very interesting because it is also connected to the real world so yeah basically if you want to define uh, my research in like one sentence it might be that i want to uh, learn the theory behind real world problems of uh, in game theory so yeah that's wow. it wow i mean that's impressive and uh, from, from my experience with algorithms i know how um, difficult they can be sometimes and i think you are really smart to be tackling these problems it's <laughs> more than smart i think curious everybody is smart enough and uh, you just need to like what you do <laughs> true all right um how did you get into research racha what was your first experience with research okay ananya that is a very interesting question because i remember i have started research uh, i think in my second year of my masters so i had no intentions of doing a phd uh, while as late as uh, actually starting at the point of starting my masters program i just wanted to get a masters degree and go into the industry uh, with a higher paying job so um i i decided to get into research i think because of the um, courses that i took at iit bombay when i did my masters um the one course that i really really liked was uh, design and analysis of algorithms so my undergrad was not in cs so all of the cs courses uh, that i started doing in my first semester were really new and really interesting to me and uh, algorithms was something i found very very interesting um in 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 this masters program at iit bombay they uh, it is designed in a way in in this way that they make you do this seminar research project in your second semester uh, before deciding who your thesis advisor will be so when you do your seminar research it is basically a reading of uh, four to six or more perhaps more depending on the area research papers and a survey uh, presentation based on what you read during the semester so i really liked the professor who taught algorithms and uh, i approached him to t- uh, to uh, to be my advisor for the seminar research project and uh, he agreed uh, he took me on and uh, the research uh, the, the papers that he gave me to read uh, were very interesting they were in theory and i just wanted to do more and more theory and uh, then i asked him you know i want to really do this kind of work for uh, i can see myself doing the rest so it was kind of organic the because i liked that course i went into more of those kind of things and then i kept going into more of those things and uh, i think during my third semester um, he told me that hey you know if you want to do more theoretical computer science you will really have to do research and uh, maybe go into phd because 
in industry, there is very little theoretical computer science. You will have to do more programming. And I think a part of it was also influenced by my non-CS undergrad background that uh, I was new to programming, so did not quite enjoy it and uh, kept enjoying this mathematical stuff more. And uh, I also really liked teaching. So uh, one more aspect of it is uh, during my undergrad, I used to teach high school students physics uh, on weekends and I enjoyed teaching a lot. So I, I, ha I also had this at the back of my mind that maybe I want to take this teaching uh, further. And uh, it started kind of coming together when uh, my master's advisor suggested to me that, hey, you know, you can do a PhD, you can keep continuing uh, work, uh, working on this theoretical CS stuff, and you can teach uh, at the university level. So becoming a professor might seem like the golden choice for you. And I asked him, okay, so what does it take to become a professor at IIT Bombay? Then uh, he said that, no, you have to do a PhD outside and then maybe do a postdoc for X years and maybe uh, do some. I, I was so scared at the thought, you know, that, no, no, I, I don't want to study this much. I don't want to go out of India and uh, all of that. But then I talked to a lot of people uh, when he suggested this. And I think that is uh, an important part that uh, newcomers miss that uh, they are probably hesitant. So my advice, I was fortunate that I was very, uh, my, my, my advisor had developed a very frank relationship with me. I could tell him anything. Like I literally asked him, what, what do I do if I want to become a professor at IIT Bombay? Right. So, and he gave me very honest feedback and very clear feedback always. So I think if you want to do something, uh, no matter how naive your questions might be, just ask them. Don't be afraid of them and uh, ask as many people as you want. Finally, listen to whatever you want to do yourself, but uh, ask a lot of people, ask as many people as you can and just network uh, as much as you can. So in that initial phase, when you're undecided, when you're unsure, when everything is new, when you're exploring, uh, this is a very important thing to do. Uh, that, you know, take the opinions of as many diverse people as you want. So I asked uh, uh, the uh, PhD students at IIT Bombay, uh, other professors at IIT Bombay, what, what do they think I should do? Industry people, uh, people who had done PhD and gone into the industry, people who had not done PhD, gone to the industry directly, so many people. And uh, everybody had their own opinions and everybody described their own lives to me. I asked them to. And I think at the end, I liked the life of a professor the most. So that is how I uh, decided to formally do PhD. And uh, actually going into research was more organic than that. Right. I think the advice of you know connecting with people and asking them the questions is very important because yes. this is not something that you know we're not we're not really surrounded by a lot of people naturally who are yes. into research. And that's just yes. the reality of it. There are very few people who do Absolutely. research. So it is Absolutely. important for someone who wants to get into research to connect with people and ask mm -hmm. a lot of different people about their experiences yes. to make an informed decision. So Absolutely. thank you for, for explaining that to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Rachel, tell me what are the most important skills and tools um, that are needed for research, especially in computer science? Okay, yeah. So I will give an answer that I know because uh, from what I have learned. So uh, one main thing, of course, is uh, you need to be hard working. You need to be prepared to work hard. Uh, that is an important skill uh, to be able to do research. 
And I think another thing that people take for granted is the ability to uh, be okay, to, to have a thick skin, you know, ability to be okay with failure. Because um, in research uh, and the way academia is right now, uh, first of all, in actual technical research also, day to day, you're going to go through a lot of failures. You have some conjectures, they don't work. You set up some experiments, they don't work. You, you go through a lot of failures. Maybe in an entire year, you get like three days where everything succeeded and you actually had results. But uh, you should realize that those, that is going to result into then three papers, three research papers. And three papers in a year is a wonderful thing. But that also means that you're going to fail for 362 days of the year. And in technical research, so you have to be okay with that, that things just don't work. Or you may suffer a block. You may not be able to get a single idea for days at end. And uh, when you're aiming to get a degree, it might become stressful that uh, you're not getting an idea for many, many days. And uh, you need ideas, otherwise you're not going to graduate or you're not going to get this next thing. And it's okay. It happens. You should just uh, learn to be okay with failure. In, in also in other aspects of academia, uh, where you are networking, you are trying to uh, trying to get an internship, trying to get uh, a job, trying to get uh, contact, uh, trying to establish contacts, trying to write uh, your statements of uh, purpose or your teaching statements or things. Every single time you apply, uh, you get things with uh, maybe 5% probability of success. So you're going to fail a lot of times, a lot of times. The back, uh, the background is filled with failures and uh, people only see, look at the successes of any successful person, but uh, you should develop a thick skin as fast as you can. And uh, I think that is one very important skill and that also takes time to develop. So it's okay if you don't uh, have it. Uh, I think I realized how much you need to develop a thick skin. I had been told that by my mentors earlier. I only realized that after I actually started doing my PhD, mm -hmm. uh, that okay, this is how much I'm going to fail. Because when you're doing courses, when you're uh, doing your bachelor's degree or master's degree, you at least have those predictable successes, you know, that you got an A in a course, you finished a semester, you uh, got some other, uh, maybe you're doing some hobbies. So you got uh, a prize in, while participating there, you participated in a hackathon, which resulted in some success. So you get easy successes, at least. In a PhD, there is nothing. If you have a paper, that is the only measurable success in your own head about you also. If you don't have that, that's great. If you, if you don't value it by external, if you don't value your own success by external factors, that's awesome. But for most of the people, we do measure it by how many papers we have, by how much, uh, how much other people value us. And that happens so rarely uh, that uh, it is necessary to be okay with it. Um, another skill, so, so there are, these are two skills uh, and, and, extra, and another third skill that you need to develop maybe in the later years of your uh, research is uh, later years of your early research, uh, just the senior years of your PhD maybe are uh, the networking abilities. So most of uh, us into going into research are introverts and we are shy of communicating and uh, approaching other people, asking for help. Or, uh, uh, you know, you have some brilliant idea, but, uh, and you want, uh, want to really want to work with this professor or with this uh, research team somewhere, and you're just shy, or you're not sure of how good your idea is, you know, just go and talk to them, uh, go in a conference, uh, just, um, just, just uh, introduce yourself to everyone you see. 
Uh, most senior researchers are very nice people and they like uh, meeting newcomers. So even if their ideas are naive, everybody knows that those people, the senior people have like 20 years of research over you. So they don't expect you to be uh, having very, have very well-formed ideas. So it's okay. You go just uh, network because it's going to be important in the later years. True. Yeah, I think um, those are... Uh, yeah, the, the points that you made about uh, hard work and patience, I think they're very relevant um, from my own personal mm -hmm. experience as well. Uh, I, can, I can vouch for the fact that you need a lot of um, patience because the, the speed at which our field is progressing, um, there are new studies, new findings, new publications <laughs> happening every hour, every day. And... Mm -hmm. For you to contribute meaningfully, you need to be um, working pretty hard for it, and and you need to understand that um, if you if you you know try to approach a journal um, for your paper or a conference, you might not get accepted the first time, maybe not even the second exactly. time, exactly, maybe not even the third yeah, maybe time, maybe four times. <laughs> yeah, but but when you do get accepted, it's it's the the happiness is just amazing. It's amazing. Because you know yes. that you contributed to your field um, in a scientific mm -hmm. manner, and and that gratification is is totally worth it, right? Absolutely, I couldn't put it uh, better. I remember the day uh, my first publication came out, and that meant I had contributed something to science. You know, it was always going to be there permanently, and that feeling really makes up for everything else. Exactly. Or even not, not just the publication, just the proof, the day you have the proof, you know, before it getting actually published, the day you prove something that nobody else has proved in the world. And this is something new that you're adding to the knowledge of science. And that's really fulfilling. Right. When, when your hypothesis works. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Now coming to the part which I think most people listening to this podcast will be interested in. How and where do newbies get started? People who have, let's say, zero uh, experience with research. Where should they get started? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are um, two types of newbies in uh, my head so one are the newbies who don't know about uh, what area they want to do research in who are just new to computer science and they just like solving uh, math problems and that's why they are thinking of doing research uh, they just don't know which project to pick up which area to explore in anything so if you're that kind of person who who is not fixed on any area of research specifically right now and uh, who's just interested in, probably interested in doing research, then I would suggest that you start, first of all, approach any mentors, uh, any, any mentors you have around you. Uh, you know, the, the, it is usually uh, the teacher. So I have talked with my uh, peer group also of how they came into research and almost everybody had the same answer that you have a favorite course and that you love that teacher. So if you do have such a favorite teacher, approach that favorite teacher and ask them that, hey, I want to do research and uh, where do I start? And because they know you personally, they know how you work and they will give you very clear uh, uh, directions. Um, 
but in general so that is one thing approach the people around you because they know you the most and they will be able to guide you the most um another thing i would suggest is if you are working at a university which has course projects which has uh, uh, any kind of like uh, challenging course projects which take up a major part of the syllabus of the course take up those courses uh, let's say 30% of the course is a course project uh, take up that course and approach that uh, the professor teaching that course at the beginning of the course and tell them that i want this course, pro course project to be research oriented and then the professor will be able to give you a small research project and will be able to guide you and you will get a full flavor of what a research project looks like what a mini research project looks like so courses uh, course projects then uh, math math so if so this is very specific to cs but if you're doing research in cs you need to be good at math so uh take math courses as much as math courses are available in your university probability and uh, analysis um all those courses and see if you enjoy that kind of math because uh while you're proving very real world like uh, problems like okay i found a way to solve uh, climate change or something a lot of the actual paper actual work is going to be a lot of serious math so you need to be able to enjoy that and develop an intuition about that so do that right at the beginning so it also helps on the uh, resume that you have taken math courses so it won't go to waste um, it also will help in jobs you will get jobs at analytical uh, let's say banks if you decide that it is not for you research is not for you so it doesn't uh, uh, go bad uh and once you have all this foundation you know you have taken a course you like you have uh taken a mini course project uh and taken math courses once you have these foundations then um maybe start reading so i i would suggest that you pick up any conference uh if you even google search uh top conferences in cs okay uh then specify it with your favorite course let's say you liked the operation systems course operating systems course then uh, top conferences in operating systems uh if you like uh, algorithms top conferences in algorithms and so on and uh, you will get a good list of conference names um look at the uh publication list so uh, every year so all conferences mostly are uh, held every year or every alternate year at the very least and every conference has hundreds of papers in them so just look at the titles of those papers and uh you so if you google search conference names there will be uh, something called proceedings of a conference and with your Uh, so let's say uh, for my for my field for example stock is a fa very famous conference so you will uh, if you google search conferences in algorithms you will see proceedings of stock 2020 proceedings of stock 2019 every year so just pick up proceedings of any one or two years just look at the titles you won't understand anything in the content because you're you don't you don't know anything about research and that's perfectly fine just look at the uh, names the titles of the papers so that you get an idea of you know what kind of keywords people are working in right now and uh, then there is something called when you write a research paper there is something called an abstract of the paper which in one or two paragraphs explains what the paper is about um if you understand the abstracts or uh, so so i'm trying to think of a way okay so maybe you can approach your uh, teacher and ask them that what is an Uh, easy conference in your favorite what area because the top conferences typically have very hard papers in them so if your professor can point out to easy conferences where there are 
um, there are easier results get published by uh, let's say newcomers or something then you will be able to probably understand an entire paper also uh, in which case that is great. Then look at the proceedings of that conference, see what kind of, then if, if you understand an entire paper, then see if you enjoy that kind of work. So start reading research papers and uh, basically network as much as possible. Ask anybody around you how to, how to get into research. I want to get into research. Uh, I read this paper, then contact the authors of the paper. There is an email uh, list, uh, email addresses of the authors are given. Do not hesitate in uh, contacting the authors and just tell them that I really enjoyed your paper. I did not understand these points. I understood these points and they'll be able to point you to very introductory topics related to from where their paper came from or other introductory papers related to that state-of-the-art paper because current papers, uh, current proceedings are very state-of-the-art new work. So the authors of that paper will be able to point you to um, the very foundational work and you can start reading there. So contact everyone. Do not hesitate in contacting even a Nobel Prize winners because that will happen frequently that the authors of a paper are Nobel Prize or, uh, award or Goodell Award winners, or Turing Award winners. They love, they are people, they love uh, other people reading their work. They will love that a newcomer wants to get into their area. So don't be afraid, uh, ask them, ask professors, ask authors, uh, read uh, reference books, Google standard reference books in this area, uh, even if it's an area that does not seem like an area. You know, for example, I remember Google searching um, standard reference books in uh, octahedral tucker, which was the first problem I was working on, mm -hmm. and standard reference books on that. So it did result in very uh, nice books. So uh, just seek, just uh, do, uh, yeah, seek, seek help from whoever is around you, and you will get help. Right. Yeah, I think that I, is how I, you start. I do have to add to this point. I mean. Um, people love it when there are newcomers entering their field, uh, especially Absolutely. the stalwarts, the seniors. They, they love seeing new students taking up their field. So definitely try to contact these people. Uh, and like you said about reading research papers, it is, I think, the most important part about being a researcher. And you end up mm -hmm. reading much more than you're working on. And that's totally fine. You should yes. be reading a lot yes. of papers and keeping current on the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the trending areas um, of research in the domain that you're in. Absolutely. Um, I had a question for the ones that don't have um, professors or mentors who are deeply focused into research or don't have a lot of resources or research courses at their universities. How do they get started on their own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, one thing I would suggest for them to do is uh, you can Google uh, summer schools, summer schools in computer science for undergrads. And uh, summer schools are, if you don't know what summer schools are, they are typically, uh, let's say, a week-long uh, workshop that are held in uh, bigger universities like IIT Bombay or uh, BITS or some some good college where professors all over the country come and teach you introductory topics of uh, a particular uh, a particular area and more than you you get to learn of course a lot in the actual workshop and you get to meet those professors so that brings you in contact with a lot of people. And these schools are the applicants. There are a lot of such summer schools happening all around. And uh, 
especially for minority groups. Uh, there are a lot of summer schools happening for women in India. I just heard of an algorithmic game theory for a summer school uh, happening in India. So you can have very specific summer schools. You can have very broad summer schools. So search for that. There are semester long internships and summer internships for uh, students of all colleges in IITs. Uh, for example, so Google search that internship at IIT Bombay, internship at IITs or internship at any big college you know of. And uh, they typically have some uh, eligibility criteria. You just write to them that uh, either I satisfy those criteria and that's why I want to apply to this internship. Or if you don't and you just uh, still really, really want to work with someone, just uh, go on the website of your favorite big college and look at the names of the professors. Look at, so everything is there on that website. So look at the names of the professors, look at the projects they're working into, see if uh, you like something that they are working into or they have published and just email them and say that I read this paper, I really enjoyed this paper and I want to work with you. And you know, like with probability 5%, five out of 100 emails, you will get a reply and somebody will say yes and you will get a chance to work with them over one summer. And the first summer turns into experience and you get a better uh, experience in the next summer and in the next semester. So it, it just, you can work on that. So a starting point is just Googling uh, summer schools and internship positions. Right, all the things Google makes easy for us. Um, Absolutely. Are, there, are there similar programs in the USA as well? Because we might have listeners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for US, uh, I think there are far more opportunities because the universities are kind of connected. The UCs, for example, are connected. So you can just, um, I think, uh, go to UC Berkeley if you're in UC Irvine and uh, uh, work with a professor there. Um, and in most universities that I know, there are there is at least one professor who does serious research or uh, Similar summer schools happen in uh, the US also. UIUC, for example, I know for sure has uh, research introduction programs where students, even high school students from the country come in and do research. So yeah, Googling such summer schools uh, is, uh, is great. Uh, US also has undergrad research programs within universities. Um, so you can search for, uh, like for example, UIUC has this promoting undergrad research in engineering program, um, or there are outreach programs uh, for people wanting to do research and who do not have the access to resources for research. So uh, if you can Google search research opportunities for undergrads in US, I think even a broad Google search like that will lead up with very relevant answers. Okay. All right, let's move to a very coveted question. Um, industry and academia opportunities for PhD students. Please, please, <laughs> please, please, please tell us about the, the wide array of opportunities that are available for people doing research. There are so many opportunities, you know, it opens up. So uh, if you like doing research and you have a PhD degree in research, you are a very, very qualified person, right? So uh, there are lots of opportunities uh, in the industry. There are, so the way I think of is I bucket jobs uh, in three classes. First of all, there is academia where you work in some university position that also has subclasses. I'll talk about that shortly. Uh, in the industry, there are two types of positions. There is a research 
position and there is a software engineering position so a software engineer typically does a lot of software development for the company uh, this is done by masters and bachelors uh, graduates also uh, undergrads also so you don't necessarily need a phd degree for that uh, phd degree will just get you to uh, manager uh, the, the higher promote higher positions quickly but the, this those positions do not necessarily require the skill set of a phd um uh, the research positions are of course uh, in the industry are mostly open only to people with a phd degree they're not open to other people so and there you will be able to so the job uh, entails just doing research uh, that is that is uh, beneficial to the company you're working for as well as things you enjoy doing yourself so it is just doing a lot of research and uh, probably mentoring uh, juniors uh that that they that come into the company this is probably mostly interns that come uh, for about 3 months in the summer right. then uh, within the university uh there are uh, three types of positions now uh one is the research faculty one is the teaching faculty and one is the tenure track faculty so research faculty are people who who just want to do research uh they do not want to necessarily teach a lot of courses they are not necessarily interested in teaching uh, those are uh, basically like research industry industry research positions teaching faculty is uh, people who are who really like teaching and who have like who have proved that they are really good at teaching they have teaching awards they have done workshops to get better at teaching and uh, uh, they they have a resume that really highlights their teaching experience and they really want to do te- uh, teach uh, mostly so they develop innovative courses uh, for the university that would be helpful for uh, kind of like what would be more beneficial uh, to improve the quality of the bachelor program or the masters program so mm-hmm. developing innovative courses and uh, developing new ways to teach uh, a, a, de- a known course and uh, high may uh, doing workshops for other teachers to make them better at teaching and anything related to teaching basically a tenure track faculty does a mix of everything they do research they teach courses they mentor students new phd students so it's a lot of um, lot of work um but uh, tenure track faculty are the most kind of prestigious sort after positions um if you want if you're sure that you want to work in uh, software engineering then i would suggest you uh, strongly consider whether you want to do a phd because it has been like statistically proved that you're actually uh, losing money by doing a phd program uh, you lose years of work experience and you could be working in the industry earning thousands of dollars uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, you are earning a measly stipend uh by doing a phd degree instead so you really should be enjoying research you really want to develop those skill sets that comes with uh getting a phd wanting to develop those critical thinking skills and hard working skills and all of it um at the cost of money so right. that is one caveat uh, of also uh for some jobs you may be overqualified 
uh, after a PhD degree. So for example, entry level software developing positions or entry level positions in most industries look for bachelors or masters uh, people because the skill set required for that job is only of a master's. They do not necessarily need a PhD person, uh, but a PhD person asks for more money. So they don't pay them. Uh, they hire a master's person and they don't hire a PhD person. So you may find yourself uh, losing money and losing on a lot of uh, kind of easy options uh, because they don't hire you anymore. So you should be wanting only and only the uh, challenging positions, challenging jobs, and you should be prepared to develop the skill set for it. You know, there is no going back after you have a PhD. Thank you for categorizing it so beautifully. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, if you're doing a PhD, the only area which is open to you is academia, uh, is teaching. Oh. That is a, it's a, it's a wrong belief. There are academic positions which reward you just as much. Oh, sorry, industry positions mm -hmm. which reward you just as much. And even if you Absolutely. do end up working in academia, like you said, there's no reason to be teaching if you don't like it. You can just be in involved in research so um, thank you for uh, putting it out so clearly um, mm -hmm. finally um, can you give us some application tips for people who have already decided to pursue a doctoral degree and are working towards uh, applying in in maybe the next few months or the next few years mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll tell you what I learned from my application uh, uh, experience. I applied two years uh, for two years. In the first year, I got rejected from everywhere. And then I spent a lot of time working on the application and uh, successfully applied the second year. So uh, the mistakes I made in my first year were I focused, uh, both years I focused on writing my statement of purpose very carefully. And uh, for people who don't know uh, how to do, go about that, I basically answered the question of who I am. The first paragraph should clearly say who I am. Uh, then, uh, who, then the second, then maybe the next two or three paragraphs should say why they should hire you. So what experience you have in research or what your experience you have in other courses or what you learned and why, you, why did you decide to do a PhD? Okay, and uh, mostly try to be technical about this part. Don't, uh, don't give uh, vague stories because uh, so many applications do that. So they look for the technical stuff and they uh, filter out the stories. And then uh, why them? How do you fit into that university? So this is typically the last paragraph and uh, you want it to be customized towards every place you're applying to separately. Uh, why do you want to re do research in this particular place? And who do you want to work with? So uh, why do you want to work with them? And uh, so why, why you fit with them and why they should hire you? A statement of purpose should answer uh, these two questions at the very least. Once you have that, uh, I think letters of recommendation is very, very important. They will ask for three letters of recommendation and uh, whoever your letter writer is, when you ask them, can you write a letter for me? You should also, I think, ask them, can you write a strong letter for me? Uh, so some, most people are ready to write a letter in which they will say that, okay, I know this person because they did this course with me and they got an A in the course and they cannot say too much about you. 
but if a person says they can write a strong letter for you that means they know specifics about you they are going to uh, they are going to add a lot of detail about why the university should hire you and i think from looking from the other side uh, what people look in these letters of recommendation is uh, for more personalized advice on let's say i know this person and she works in this particular what is her work ethic how does she work does she like a hands off mentoring or hands on mentoring does she uh, communicate every day or every month or every week or what is her way of working does she come to the lab every day or does she prefer working from home basically what kind of person and it is not necessarily so these are not necessarily positive or negative things right mm-hmm. but uh, the advi- the potential phd advisor is just seeing if that person is compatible with them through those letters mm-hmm. and they are going to make very important decisions based on those letters and who write them so make sure you develop these letter writers right from the beginning so let's say you decide to do a phd at the beginning of your third year then start working on research projects with important people and i mean this is like kind of uh, uh, i don't know how to say this advice more nicely but i'm just going to say it uh, i guess candidly but try to work with important people uh, who will be a, whose whose letters will matter kind of and uh, who will be able to write strong letters who are known to be nice people so they write strong letters um and uh, so so once you have this application packet you have the letters you have the statement of purpose there's the gre score but people are kind of in the us at least people are dropping the gre score requirement so maybe that won't be necessary even if it is i think a month's preparation is more than enough to get a decent gre score everywhere um the most important i think part that is not stated anywhere and what was what was given to me as advice by in my second phase of applications was to write emails to every person i'm applying to you know i uh, my application was sent in december uh, my application packet to all the universities but i wrote emails in uh, october end of october and in november i wrote emails to every person i was interested in working with that hey i am this person i exist and this is what i worked in and this is what i want to this is why i want to work with you and uh, please let me know if you're interested and uh, some of them answered some of them did not answer but the people who answered answered very politely and said okay i will look into your application but even this is enough because you know you imagine what is going to happen after your application packet goes in your application is one of thousands of applications and the admission committee who are mostly uh, not the actual potential advisors are going to look at thousands of applications and they are doing their actual day jobs and then going home and then doing this on their own free time many times and they have their own families and they're going to look at uh, look at what applications exist after a long day of work so more that so they are going to look at your application maybe for 2 minutes before deciding to not look at it further so and it is very hard to write a statement of purpose that stands on stands out in 2 minutes of reading okay <laughs> so i- instead if you have written to a potential advisor and that potential advisor says okay i'll look into your application and then asks the admission committee to filter out this application and send it to him Mm-hmm. uh if uh, she if if the admissions committee finds it interesting then the admissions committee is definitely going to spend more than 2 minutes on your application and that can make or break your decision uh from a personal point of view also so i decided to uh, become a mentor in this 
pure research program uh, which uh, which which maps an, a graduate student with an undergrad student uh, for mentoring them about a small research project here at UIUC and uh, so in the beginning of the semester i had to decide who i was going to men mentor and i was given 200 applications on uh, one day and i was asked to look at them and decide about three to four people i wanted to mentor and give them the names in uh, two days wow okay. uh, and it is just impossible i have my own research to do and it is just impossible to look at everyone very closely so at, that is the point where I realized how important it was to write emails. You, know, you might have imposter syndrome, you might hesitate, you might feel shy, you might not feel confident enough to write emails and uh, just, you know, put yourself out this much, but do it. It is, it, don't reject yourself, you know, don't, uh, don't say, no, 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 that this is too important a person for me to write an email to. No, that person is going to be potentially your advisor. You're looking to become that person in a few years. So it's okay. Uh, you, you're looking to become as important as that person in a few years. So it's okay. You can write to them and uh, please don't hesitate in this part and uh, please do it early, well in advance. So, so that, that, that increases your success, I think, exponentially. Right. Those are some very good tips. And I think a lot of them are helpful for me as well because I'm applying now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for finding the time to have a conversation with me about um, research and about mm -hmm. um, PhD programs. Um, I hope this conversation um, really helps a lot of people and especially girls to find their footing in the domain of research. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It was mostly my pleasure. Thank you mm -hmm. for having me. Bye.